Welcome to Menu Stories, an ongoing series of multimedia stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. This is our podcast, and I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. This is episode 42 of Menu Stories, our last of the year. Since this story is coming out just days before Christmas and Hanukkah, we're naturally talking all about chocolate. Michael and Jackie Ricuti, who hail from West Philadelphia and Hawaii, respectively, met in San Francisco in the 80s and have now been making chocolates for 20 years. The two complement each other perfectly and help us learn about the depth and variety of chocolate. I remember just the chef sitting me down and cutting off different pieces of chocolate. And we just sat there and we were just drinking water and eating these different types of chocolate. And he was explaining to me where they're from and what that flavor profiles were. I was just blown away. Let's have a listen as we hear about the Ricuti story, discuss why chocolates are so connected with the holidays, and hear whether Michael Ricuti finds any joy out of Junior Mints. Ricuti in the dog patch at their home. We are here to talk about Ricuti Confections. So would you mind introducing yourselves and your roles? Uh, my name is Michael Ricuti. I'm one of the founders of Ricuti Confection with my wife Jackie Ricuti. My role is pretty much operations and culinary creative director, coming up with new ideas, new concepts, implementing ideas and collaborating with Jackie so that we can figure out how to make it actually work. So the two of us really collaborate together. So my role is more of a culinary role and an operations role in the factory to work with the team. I'm Jackie Ricuti and my role is creative director on the opposite side where I work with our design firm, The Engine Room, who's also here in Dogpatch, and also with our, our marketing and our communications and online manager. And we are the creative team in conceptualizing what the look and feel of the products will be. So what is Rakuti Confections, to those who don't know what it is? For us... I think what we wanted to create was utilizing Michael's experience and his talents in old world crafting, but bringing it to a more contemporary feel, making it very present. So he may use old traditional methods of confection and chocolate making, but he definitely has his own twist on the flavor profile and what the actual product looks like. We have a core line, which is the truffles, the bonbons. And that's what we launched the business with. And then we have spun out to snackable items like our s'mores kits or the s'mores bites. We've got a baked goods line that we're expanding on. We do the French style fruit jellies, pâte de We've got a line of caramels that, that we've been doing both coated with chocolate and uncoated. And then we also have a sauce line. One of our signature flavors is a burnt caramel, which we developed when we first started in 97. Prior to that, I was using this burnt caramel solution. It's a sugar that I burn to a dark syrup that I use to flavor different types of confections, make sauces with it, use it in ice cream base. So it's it's a kind of a multi-purpose flavor for Ricuti, but it's become a really signature flavor profile. And the other sauce is a chocolate sauce. We need a specific amount of sweetener because we don't use any preservatives, everything's natural. So we need a specific amount of sugar in order to preserve the product. So instead of just using white sugar syrup or corn syrup or something like that, we create our own syrup that has a different, deeper, smoky flavor profile, which really adds to the depth of the chocolate. 
you know, my focus is on being inspired by music, architecture, and just day-to-day surroundings of living in San Francisco and traveling. And so I try to weave that into how we create our line of pastries and also just our whole experience of going out to different restaurants while traveling or living in San Francisco and being inspired by a lot of our culinary friends in the industry. Combining all of that to make the flavors that we do and create the flavors, for example, like selling chocolates at the farmer's market, I was more focused on what all of the other vendors were doing and really riffing off of the fact that, you know, someone has a box of lemon verbena that they need to get rid of a farmer because he didn't sell it. And he's like, can you do anything with this? And so I figure out how to incorporate that into a flavor profile. And so the whole California culinary palette is quite wonderful, especially with all of the farmers and the local food scene that's happening here. It's really experiential versus where I come from in Philadelphia. You know, when it's wintertime, it's wintertime and nothing's really growing and you're buying it all from California anyway. Where do you operate and where do you actually create all of these products? The center of the universe for Cutie is in Dog Badge. We've been manufacturing here for almost 20 years and we also have been living here for the last six years. It's a neighborhood that feels like a village and we like contributing to the neighborhood. And just slightly beyond that is the Ferry Building. So our first retail store opened there. And that's been how many years now? Probably going on 13. 13 years. I mean, we started out by manufacturing our products, sharing a space with a bakery on the, in the top floor of the American Industrial Center, which is in Dogpatch on 3rd Street. We shared like a 400 square foot space. So Jackie and I basically were like, just working in this really small space and producing products. We had some wholesale accounts, but we also sold a farmer's market every Saturday on Green Street before it moved to the back pier of the ferry building. And I did that for five years. That was a great experience to just learn about how the local culture and what people like and really get to know people. That's what gave us the opportunity to move into the ferry building. The farmer's market also opened up opportunities to become national. That's where Chuck Williams used to shop. So he approached us and... Of Williams and Sonoma. Of Williams and Sonoma. And they uh, approached us to be in their catalog. So we were in their catalog for a good number of years. That sounds fantastic. So you're saying as vendors should try to get into the farmer's market as much as they can (laughs) to try to get their foot in the door. Absolutely. That and you get to network with people that are just incredible you know they're really inspirational you're talking directly to the farmers Mm -hmm. and I think that really spawns some ideas for Michael as to how do you incorporate lavender into a truffle or how do you get lemon verbena which you're typically using for soap or sachets into a chocolate form that that would be appealing to the public so it's just multi-layered. It's really stimulating. You meet great people and it you, gives you a lot of different opportunities to You expand. build your local base, mm-hmm. which is really cool. There's a lot of press and just really interested food-obsessed people from all over the world. And then in turn, you, you gain these customers that you end up shipping chocolates to them. And it's just a really wonderful kind of organic growth. So where are you both from, Michael? You mentioned you're from Philadelphia. Yeah, so I grew up right outside of Philadelphia in a suburb west of the city line called Upper Darby. That's where, you know, I cut my teeth for a lot of the culinary experiences that I had, especially working with my grandmother was really into baking. She's from Italy. She baked a lot of wedding cakes for friends and cookies and things like that. She always was looking for one of the four kids. I have two sisters and a brother to help her. And They were not as interested than I was, and I always took an interest in just helping her bake. I would always make cookies or pasta or 
you know, help her ice a cake. So I, I really, I think she, she really thought about that. And then she started introducing me to a lot of her other friends in the city that were also Italian that baked. And I just started slowly learning how to take some sort of interest in the pastry and baking side. And so Philadelphia was my mainstay. And then from there, I moved to San Francisco in 1986. And how about you, Jackie? I am from Hawaii. I was born there, but the first seven years of my life, we lived in Japan. Dad had a job there as a baseball player, and we had the opportunity of living there. And I think the biggest influence there, although by the time I came back, I was eight, I think just my aesthetic sense, the influence of Japan and its packaging and just the fine detail of of anything visual, I think really, maybe it's just part of my DNA, but I think that was the big influence for me. And I think that's where I'm able to contribute to the business and, and work as a partner with Michael. So what, what brought you to San Francisco? Fell in love with the city, came on vacation, and, and just thought this is so polar opposite of what I'm used to from a tropical island, and I had to move here. So I uh, moved here in the mid-80s and pretty much set my roots here. This is home. Michael, what about for you? What made you want to move here from Philadelphia? Living in the East Coast, I really didn't like summers, humidity. I was the kid that like hung out under the boardwalk at the beach You know, growing up. I just didn't like all that heat. I didn't understand why people were in the sun. So fast forward, when I graduated from high school, my sister was living in Florida at the time. And she called me up. She said, hey, you want to do like a four-month road trip with me in my Carmen Ghia Volkswagen? And we'll just drive around the U.S. So we drove around the U.S. And then towards the end of our trip, which was August... We landed in San Francisco and it was like 52, 53 degrees, breezy. And I knew how hot it was in the East Coast (laughs) and humid. And I was like, that's it. Because I was working in kitchens as well and working in kitchens in the East Coast. It was brutal at that time of year. It was very challenging, especially for pastry. You know, for chefs, it wasn't as difficult. I mean, you were working around heat, but you were still cooking and applying heat. We were trying to fend the heat. I moved back to Philadelphia and continued to work there for a while, learned more, worked with different people, built my chops and chocolate and pastry, and then eventually made my way out to San Francisco. So how did you two meet? You arrived around the same time, it sounds like. How did you two connect? Through mutual friends. Um, I have a background in hospitality, so I've always worked in hotels and restaurants. Um, That's where I was able to make the jump from Hawaii to San Francisco. And... I don't know, we met, and I didn't like you at all. Yeah. (laughs) And then he just randomly called for my roommate, actually, because they had been working together as pastry chefs in a catering company, and had no idea I was talking to the guy that I had met that I didn't like. So we set up a date, and lo and behold, I opened the door and and was horrified. (laughs) But we went out, and we have been inseparable since. It was funny because when she started chatting with me on the phone, I'm like, wow, I don't know why she's talking to me because she, she really obviously didn't really like <laughs> right. me the last time I met her. And then when I called and spoke with her, um, I was just like, oh, she keeps on talking to me. <laughs> What's going on here? In my defense, you were completely Mr. T with the gold chains around your neck well, it was like and East bracelets. Coast thing. Philadelphia, yeah, Italian. Yeah. It was like more <laughs> jewelry and all that gear. You know, like when I first moved here, I definitely didn't fit in. But for me, it's a big lesson on not making a judgment so quickly because here we are. Right. <laughs> Don't judge an Italian guy from Philadelphia by right. his cover. <laughs> They're all Rocky Balboas or whatever. Yeah. Right. But I do eat a cheesesteak, you know? Yes. 
And I eat it with cheese whiz, so you know I'm, I'm <laughs> very proud that. of that. Yeah, I love cheese whiz for cheesesteaks. This is Rebecca Goberstein, and you're listening to Menu Stories, an ongoing series of stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. We'll be right back with Michael and Jackie Ricuti of Ricuti Confections. started 20 years ago so it sounds like the idea for the business came about pretty quickly so so how did, did how did that happen we got married very very fast and moved to the east coast so what we did was a, a four-year stint at twin farms a resort in uh, Barnard Vermont and that's where we started brainstorming on how we could take our experiences and our talents and, and create a business we moved to the East Coast. Originally, I was offered a job teaching at a culinary school. From there, we were offered this job to work at this resort that Jackie was talking about, Twin Farms. But when we met with the general managers for an interview, one of the questions they asked us was like, what would you like to do in five years? And we said we would like to move back to San Francisco and open up a confectionery business. And they were very like... I think they were very supportive and they were just like, well, that's great. If you can give us that time to help us here, we'll help you realize your dream and support you in that. So there was a wonderful relationship between us and the management because he gave them probably the longest notice they've ever had. <laughs> and we stuck Before with we it. even had the job. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, we're yeah. going to tell you when we're going to quit. Well, you know, we wanted to have a luxury chocolate line. So it was the perfect place for us to do some market research because we were basically testing all of the recipes on the clientele there. So the first eight flavors that we cultivated actually had been started in Vermont when we worked at Twin Farms. How, how did you already know that that's what you wanted to do? What led up to that realization that you knew you wanted to open a chocolate line? Michael has chocolate running through his veins. <laughs> it was the core of any of the specialty cakes or desserts that he cultivated. So it made a lot of sense for us to do something that he really loved. And mm -hmm. I mean, you had other reasons as well. I thought that I, you know, you just melt chocolate, you make truffles or you melt chocolate and you fold it into butter and sugar and flour and make. So I didn't really know how to work with it like I thought I did. And then all of a sudden I started working with these European chefs and we started making confections and we started, you know, casting them, making decorations and using different types of chocolates from different parts of the world really understanding that wasn't just Nestle's chocolate or Hershey's chocolate because I didn't know. Right. I wasn't exposed to it. And so once I was exposed to that, like I remember just the chef sitting me down and cutting off different pieces of chocolate. And we just sat there and we were just drinking water and eating these different types of chocolate. And he was explaining to me where they're from and what that flavor profiles were. I was just blown away. And I think that's what really led me to just focus more on chocolate than pastry because I just felt as though it was a much more challenging medium. And it's extremely hard humbling. Once you think you understand it, all of a sudden it just kind of smacks you upside the head and something happens with temperature, something happens with the product itself because it's an organic product. So your recipe, you might have to back off on some cream or butter right. because the fat might be a little bit higher. The cocoa butter might be a little bit higher. What are sort of the different flavors or differences of chocolates from around the world? Like what, what are some of the big categories of chocolates and what makes them different? It's very much like wine. It's terroir. Madagascar is a perfect example because Madagascar is an island that is really high in iron. The color of the chocolate, the color of the cacao is more red because it absorbs that iron, that mineral, but it also takes on that characteristic of the iron, high in tannins and acid with a really nice balance of a little bit of mango. So then you look at like Venezuela, there's a chocolate from this area called Surdulago, 
Sirtalago is in the Maracaibo region of Venezuela, which is in the northwest. And so it's grown on the side on hills. So it has a lot of drainage and it has a lot of hydration from being around water. So the plants, the cacao pods grow much slower and they also have a much more fruit flavor, low acid, because the roots are constantly being flushed and washed with water and drain versus like in Madagascar where the trees are sitting in really intense soil and they're absorbing that really strong mineral content. And then you go into Africa, Ghana, a lot of the chocolate there has a very deep tobacco flavor, toasty flavor, especially some of the smaller farms. But that growing region, which is one of the largest growing regions in the world for cacao, has a much deeper tone to it. And then it's also about how after the chocolate's harvested and fermented and dried and when it's shipped to the companies in France or in Belgium or whoever, the beans are then roasted, very much like coffee, and they're roasted to a specific specific profile, if it's a dark profile or a light profile. Well, elevation has a lot to do with it as well, because in Ecuador, the growing is at a much, much higher elevation. The plants don't grow as tall, and I think it intensifies the flavor profile of the beans there. And the color of the cacao from Ecuador is very dark. It's really intense. It's a slower growing product. That's so fascinating. It really does sound like wine very Mm -hmm. much. Recently, I was in Peru with Valrona, who's a company that um, they make custom blends for us. So they do two custom blends for Recuity. But they um, invited me to go to visit this one plantation in Peru, very close to the border of Ecuador, near the Amazon. The group of people they're working with found this rare cacao that they thought was lost or extinct, and they call it Gran Blanco. So the bean is actually white in color versus like a deep purple color. One of the things about a bean of that characteristic is, is that it's very fruity, really light, very low acid, very low tannins. It's just an extremely pleasant flavor. Its use should be more for eating and not for blending with other things because it is such a subtle flavor. It's really nice to eat on its own. Jackie and I actually came up with a hot chocolate formulation. We just used that particular chocolate that Valrona makes from this white bean and we make a hot chocolate that we'll actually be serving in our lab space. We just make it with water because you really taste the characteristic of the chocolate. We don't add any cream or any milk to it because anytime you add fat to chocolate, it really suppresses the flavor. Well, it also lets us address the fact that if you're dairy free, we we have an offering. What's been the most challenging thing about everything that you've done with Rakuti and how you've brought it to where it is now? What's What's been the most challenging thing? I mean, I think that for us working together as a married couple and running a business together, it's been challenging, but it's extremely rewarding because this is the person I trust the most in the world. So I know that she'll watch my back, you know, and look out for me. She has numerous times. I mean, she'll take a <laughs> bullet for me, you know? And I think we come from different places as far as how we think about things, and we, we complement each other that way. The other challenges is that, I mean, Jackie and I, it's a sole proprietor type of business. We don't have corporate funding and all of this other stuff. So we grew it on our level. We grew it on our terms. You know, we, we like to do what we like to do and when we'd like to do it. And so we're able to kind of keep that going and that control. We move a little slower because of that, but at the same time, I think we've been very fortunate to learn a lot, make good decisions, bad decisions, and then grow from that and then create a culture of people that work with us and support us. 
our employees, our graphic designers, photographers. There's a whole family that we've created from this business. And so there's the pros and cons, but it's, it is extremely positive. I think just to point out, I mean, even if you're calling all of those out as being the challenges, I think they're also what makes it successful because we can be true to the dream of why we even started the business to pretty much build a community of like-minded artisans. That's another reason that, that Dogpatch speaks to us. There's so many like-minded people within the neighborhood and they've been the biggest supporters alongside the people at the Ferry Building. And it's really about sticking to, to what you really truly feel in your heart you need to do. And that's why I say Michael has chocolate running through his veins. You know, this is who he is. He's all about the chocolate. And I could not have married anybody or have chosen a partner any better than, than Michael in that way. I think the most rewarding is, is that we've built a brand. We've been very consistent. We have extremely loyal customer base. And to see those people still be customers, um, and you run into all these people that have been supporting you for years, and they still do. That's really rewarding. You know, just know that you've kind of built this culture within San Francisco. And I mean, it's terrifying to say, you know, we wanted to move back to San Francisco and start a chocolate business. It's like, it's, it's not that it's a big city geographically, but it's a, it's a city that carries a lot of cachet. And, you know, here we're like rolling in and we want to start this premium chocolate company. And, you know, we had to really be consistent and, and on point and prove ourselves and, uh, you know, develop that brand and a good following of people. And that's been very positive. What's rewarding also is with the growth of the company and with us having so many doors open for us. Michael's trip to Peru. We can contribute through Valrona in the the water program. Mm -hmm. You know, they're tiny villages that need resources and guidance as to how the irrigation happens with their the growing of their cacao or having a clean water program for for the villages. And focusing on doing the better for the entire village, not just for the isolated growing of the cacao or, or whatever else. In addition to that, locally, we have had a partnership with Creativity Explored for years. And what we do is we feature an artist whose image is placed on the, the truffles and we sell the truffles with proceeds going back to, to Creativity. And they have been a huge influence on just making sure that we're kept real and giving back to the community. And they're a nonprofit that teaches artwork to both mentally and physically challenged adults. And to be able to extend the reward that we find in art and contributing to that has been really great to us as well. Service is really important to me because the only way that we can grow is by listening to our shortcomings. And if you're not listening, then we're not going to grow. So it's, it's just staying in touch with, with people, whether they're our customers or whether they're the vendors or our partnerships. That's always been really important to me. And that's deeply embedded in, in the hospitality ethos. So what's, what's next? What can we look forward to from Recuity this year and beyond? We are yet evolving the lab space, which is also in, the, in Dogpatch. It started out as more of a restaurant style cafe, but now we're, we're going to be evolving into a retail space. And it has a really lovely corner presence. We wanted to, to make sure that we took elements of 
what has been the industry in dog patch and used it as a, a design accent. So there's a lot of steel work in homage to the shipyards and the, the steel workers that, that worked within dog patch over the, the centuries. Also, it's a really, really growing art community. We've got the Minnesota Street Projects just a few streets down. We've got the workshop mm -hmm. residence. We've got the craft and design museum. And we want to be part of that movement. So there's going to be a lot of artistry in the way that we conduct our retail. We really want it to feel like a gallery as you come in and shop for the chocolates. We're getting ready to prepare ourselves for our busy holiday season, which is probably the busiest time for us. You know, it's, the chocolate business is extremely seasonal. Is it about the holidays and chocolates? Like why, why does it go together so well? Like there seems to be some sort of connection where you can't really have one without the other. Well... Aside from it, I mean, being chocolate, you know, and irresistible. I think it's the gifting aspect. There's something very communal about opening a big box of chocolate, the, the sharing aspect of it, you know, and having something that sparks childhood memories, even if it was a Snickers bar. I mean, there's something that just makes you salivate and want more. Well, you know, it's really funny because... I don't think I've ever given out chocolate as a gift. And then when I started making chocolate, I was very proud of what we do. So it was it all of a sudden became a really wonderful gift. It's quite wonderful when people ask what we do or we tell them what we do. It always puts a smile on their face. So. What was the sweets that you grew up with? What would you get as a gift during Christmas? Was it like a panettone or was it more traditional Italian? Is that why? Yeah, you know, just baked goods. Uh, yeah, so yeah. we would go over to different houses within the West Philadelphia area and it was always like bags of cookies or this or that. And, you know, it was really weird. Even going out on Halloween as a kid, there was really strange houses where like, you know, like this one lady, this older woman, they would always give us like this little pill jar full of pennies. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what the hell. Maybe that was the trick part. Yeah, like this little pill <laughs> yeah. jar full of pennies. We're like, thank you. Uh, <laughs> or like apples or fruit. My favorite chocolate, as far as, you know, just kind of uh, a go-to chocolate for me is like Junior Mints. I love Junior Mints. And we make a mint, we make a pep it's called, which is my, which is Rakuti's version of a Junior Mint. So it's made with real mint, mint, infused mint, natural mint, no preservatives, and it's quite wonderful. It's not as creamy as the Junior Mint. The only way they achieve all that creaminess is by using like preservatives and yeah. corn syrup and things like that. I think our pep is really kind of outrageous. Yeah, it's, it's also very... Christmassy because of the, the mint flavor. Like, so when we go to a movie, she'll allow me to have a junior mint, <laughs> but she would prefer to eat something a little bit better. So she always, you know, she'll like stuff I'll a few of those in a bag, <laughs> or she'll bring a box of peps, and yeah. I'll be like, thank you. <laughs> but I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a go to. I know I don't like them frozen, just to, just to FYI. Is that like a thing to people? Yeah, they like, would you like okay. them frozen? I'm like, absolutely not. I <laughs> like, I want them like, just like dissolve in my mouth. Going back to the Christmas thing though, it was very exotic for us in Hawaii to receive a big box of Seas candy. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Oh, yeah. So it was so different from the kind of exactly. I mean, it wasn't chocolate-covered macadamia nuts, right? And so, yeah, chocolate-covered macadamia nuts here are exotic, obviously, and in Hawaii, probably pretty boring. Oh, yeah. So, well, thank you for joining us and sharing some of your story and telling us all about how chocolates are made. And thank you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
You just heard the 42nd episode of Menu Stories, an ongoing series of multimedia stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. If you enjoyed the story, please spread the word to your friends about the work we do. Subscribe to the Menu Stories series on menustories.com so you can get the next episode delivered to your inbox. And if you're listening to this before December 25th, 2016, it's also not too late to qualify for our holiday sweepstakes when you sign up at menustories.com giveaway. On menustories.com, you'll find the complete Rakuti episode with pictures and a behind-the-scenes video. You can find us on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at Menu Stories, and on Twitter, we're at Menu underscore Stories. This podcast is also available on iTunes. This episode was produced and photographed by yours truly with photo editing by Monica Lowe, and all videography was done by Patrick Wong. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein, and we wish you a very happy holiday season. Until next year, happy eating.